And so the story begins with a beautiful, heavenly butterfly named Hallie Grace. Butterflies represent colors, joy, and change, and this story has it all. Hallie Grace was born with a rare genetic connective tissue disorder called junctional epidermolysis bullosa. EB is often called the worst disease you've never heard of. Although her earthly trip was short, her journey continues to fly high. Honey butterfly Welcome to the Grace, Grief, and Grit podcast. I'm your host, Dee Daniels, and I'm so excited to welcome to this episode, Hallie Grace's dad, Joe Davis, and I'm calling this the dad-isode. Um, it's the dad episode. Joe, I'm so glad, I'm so happy that we're getting a chance to sit down and have this conversation one-on-one. Thank you, Dee. I am so happy to be here for this and to, to give you some perspective from my end, because I, I don't talk about it a lot. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, you know, if you've been listening to the beginning of this podcast, you know, we, we started things off, um, with you and, and, you know, sort of giving the overview of, of the story of Hallie Grace. And, and then we've had some just fantastic guests since then. Um, if you haven't checked out, uh, the episode number two, when Hallie Grace met Hallie Grace, that's just pretty spectacular. Um, and then uh, Cindy Brown on episode three. What, what I'm super excited about um, that this is our episode before the ball happens, um, which is just like moments away. Um, and 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 at the same time, we have so many things to talk about. And I want to I want to talk about your your perspective as as a dad. My experience with with Hallie and. EB with her definitely is, is different than Anne's. I've always picked up on, on the timeline in the moment where you guys were in the hospital with Hallie Grace and you knew something was going on. And then there was this time frame where Anne was dealing with recovery and all of that. And it was literally just you. What was that time frame like being just you? Terrifying. Um, when you, when I saw Hallie in the blisters and her fingernails, I was so scared and, and so concerned. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't think there was something. I thought I thought there was something wrong, but I tried to hold back any real level of fear or concern because I didn't want to freak Ann out who's getting stitched up, you know, and I didn't know anything yet. So I didn't, I was just trying to to hold everything back and thinking that maybe this is normal. Mm. Every pregnancy is different. Every childbirth is different. Maybe maybe this is something I don't know about, but I was really terrified. And, and I just didn't, I just didn't know what to do. You know, it was so, so different. It was such a different experience with, with Brielle and, and Brielle was C-section as well. 
you know, so I got to, with Brielle, I got to go up there and see them do all the, you know, triage kind of things and make sure they're okay. So it was just a really different experience and, and really, really scary. Mm. And I feel like too, like, you know, you knew something was going on and you're terrified, like you said, and scared of what it is. And you knew some, you could see things that were happening and you saw all of that before someone came in and said the words epidermolysis bullosa, correct? I did. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I'm trying to put myself in that position for like a second and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong or, or like, you know, add to this. However, I, I'm, I'm putting myself in, in your position for a second. And I'm thinking what I'm also would be terrified about is somehow when Anne is done with recovery, I, I, as a partner have to go to her and have a conversation with her about what I now know and have seen. Luckily, I didn't have to do that. I wasn't going to either. I was going to let the people who are smarter than me. Sure. Do that. And so, so once I got to go back to Anne and, they came over and, and let and hold her for just a minute. Give her, and they said, "There's some blisters. There's some stuff we need to go get checked out. We're taking her to the NICU, but she's fine." Uh, so the staff at Memorial are so professional. They obviously knew there was something not right. What they didn't, they, maybe they didn't know exactly what was going on, right? But they knew something was not right, and they had to take her to the NICU. But there was no level of anxiety no level of fear no they didn't let us know that it was as severe as it was they weren't in like panic mode nope. yeah not at all and and so i can't you know for so for me i was terrified of what i saw but i also didn't have any other expectations because the because they did the staff at memorial did what they were supposed to do to keep us calm until there was a time for us to lose it. Right. When did that time come when the, when the words came out of epidermolysis bullosa? For me, it was um, after Anne was back in the our, our actual room and she started looking it up. And at that moment, it hit me. This is terrible. It's something that you obviously can't prepare for. And that that's when I lost it. Mm. At some point after that, when she looked into because I wasn't going to because I stay away from trying to do that kind of thing. But she looked into it and she saw some really bad things and it's EB is a terrible, terrible thing. And so I, the, the three days that we were at Memorial, I, I cried so much. I've never cried that much in my life. Mm. And at the same time, I've I had so many thoughts about selfish thoughts, incredibly selfish about how, my life is no longer going to be the same that 
my life is now having to take care of a medically fragile child. Like I don't get, I don't like, I don't get any of my free time. Like these are, these are thought. And I didn't know to, to the, what extent, uh, Hallie's EB was at the time, but <laughs> I'm having these terrible selfish thoughts about what my life is going to be like. Right. I mean, we don't want to have those thoughts, but man, I think they're just this, this normal wave that comes over you in traumatic moments of like, okay, I, yep, we're going to power through, right. We're going to deal with this because that's, these are the cards. Right. And at the same time, then you do like the next thought is what does our everyday look like? But yeah, I was, I was thinking about what, what's life going to be like? And, you know, what's our, what's our day to day going to be like? Cause it, you know, and this is, you know, this is still the first three days after she's born, you know, I'm having all of these thoughts, you know, I'm, I'm breaking down so much. I even think from Anne's research, I, I think she may, Anne may have even said that she was going to die because mm. we didn't know what, which version of Evie was, but it's, there's a junctional severe, the babies die, you know? And, and that's it, what, uh, Hallie ended up having. Yes. But you didn't know that right at first. No, yeah, no, it, it, it took weeks before. And, and then, you know, we never knew until she died that it was severe. You know, I, I feel like that's such an interesting time frame. Um, that first three days, you know, when you were fast forwarding thoughts and like, you know, what does this mean? And and how do we do this? And is this even possible? And now I feel like fast forward to where you are today, you still carry guilt about that. Yeah. Um, I, I carry, I've tried to forgive myself a lot. And sometimes I think I have, but I, there's, there's a lot of guilt I carry. Um, you know, about this, the selfish thoughts that I've had. I, I have a lot of guilt about, um, the, um, mid middle of the night feedings with, with Hallie. I was not gentle because I was frustrated mm. uh, uh, t- towards the end of, uh, of Hallie's life. Uh, it would take her two hours to drink two ounces of milk. Uh, that's not, that's not normal for anything. Right. And so in, you know, middle of the night, I'm sitting on the edge of our bed next to Anne while Hallie is still in the bassinet and I'm having her sit up in such a way. Cause I can't, I mean, I can't move her because it's too painful too painful for her to move. Um, but having to sit her up to try and to feed and then she falls asleep right? because she's that exhausted Mm -hmm. from her body's that tired. My pride would not wake Anne up to, to take over the feed. I, I felt it was my responsibility to be there to let Anne sleep to do my part even. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't wake her. Hmm. Is there, has there been a time in that two year stretch where you've given grace to yourself or are you still working on that? There's, 
I, I, I think I'm still working on it. The, um, I remember being in my, at my in-laws house after she died and just sitting in the shower crying and just asking for forgiveness from her. I hear a lot of parents over the years that have, um, gone through a loss of a child or medically challenged situation, traumatic, traumatic situations that they're really never able to get to a full point of forgiving themselves or not feeling guilt or not feeling, you know, something that is heavy around it where they can no longer like look at themselves and say some part of this, you know, I'm, I'm owning some part of this because they, you always do that. And, and it feels like it is a very normal, normal response. It may be. Um, listen, just like with, with anything else that you're struggling with, just, just because it may be normal doesn't make it any easier. No doubt. And, uh, and that just reminds me of something else that I was really hard on myself for a while. Um, so Hallie had a hospital stay for uh, several days before she actually died. We, she was in the hospital uh, for, it was actually ends up being for dehydration. And she was, she was there for a few days before we took her home and then she ended up dying after that. But during that stay, we had to administer her electrolytes. They could not get an IV in her. Her veins would not take it. So we resorted to um, giving her the um, electrolytes in a syringe. And I was the one who administered those electrolytes. We tried it in the bottle first. Uh, she wouldn't drink it because it's metal. And so her formula tastes like metal. So I ended up just trying to give it to her from a syringe. And it worked. She took it. Um, but she also had a big problem with aspirating um, as well. We had gone to MUSC not too long before that, and they did a swallow study, and she aspirates every time. She was aspirating every time she swallowed. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know what aspirating is, so basically every time she would swallow, um, uh, some of her milk would go down her um, uh, the um, her. Windpipe. Windpipe. Yeah. You. you know, so she would basically, to some level, choke, in which was a common theme. We she actually did choke a lot when she ate, so that made a lot of sense. So anyway, giving a a baby as anything through a syringe is not their normal process. Right? They don't suckle it. It's a different process. So during the hospital stay when I was giving her those syringes, she would choke from time to time. So I just had a lot of guilt at that point later on that once we started figuring more things out that I maybe sped things up hmm. because you know, she, that I don't, I don't, I'm actually not holding on to that, but that was something I, I struggled with for a short time. However, she didn't have, there wasn't, there was no other way to do it. And it's not, and that was, it's EB. That's a 
pretty common thing, I think, with EB too, that, that I have read. A lot of people are in what they describe as an impossible situation. We cannot move our child in a certain way, touch our child in a certain way, treat our child in a certain way without hurting our child every single way we do it. Yeah. We would lay her in this little portable bassinet that we had and just naked. Just too afraid to put clothes on her. To put, we, her, di- her diaper area was just terrible. And so we didn't want to put a diaper on her. Just sure. Because that's, if we don't, we figured, well, if we don't put the diaper on her, then there won't be as much friction and issues we got to deal with on that. Because again, you're, you have no playbook. No. <laughs> you have no, nothing that says, try this, do this. You know, this is, this will work. You had nothing really to go by. No. And medical, the, the medical staff at MUSC and at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia are tremendous, tremendous, tremendous. You know, and the suggestions that they had to go on to help us with her, Hallie's wound care and bandages are kind of like by the book recommendations and they didn't really work for our kid and that's pretty typical and they told us that and does no that's you know this is what we're going to do but you're going to find your own way of doing things right and i remember being up at um chop and you know we had these i don't even remember how we got access to these like medical napkins is i think is what they're called you know, and so we would cut these big old strips of these medical napkins and just slather them with aquaphor and put them in her around her waist and around her thighs and all to help protect her from her diaper. And we thought that was genius. And, you know, and Chop is telling us, well, you should probably try the um, vastly impregnated gauze. And so we looked and they, they, we wrapped her in that once while there and we're like, this is just really rough. It's it's impre- this is gauze impregnated with Vaseline and it's still really rough. Mm. And so we didn't we didn't do that anymore. That didn't last long. No, it, yeah. no, it didn't because we did and and that's okay. I mean, they were giving us the advice on what they knew would be beneficial and helpful, but for our kid and our situation and what we found, our solution was a little bit better and so yeah there's no playbook you're just kind of you know winging it getting advice from the community at large for tips and suggestions and that's one of the terrible things about eb is that you know there because there's no playbook you you're having to figure it out as you go you know and thankfully the the EB community is as strong as it is to provide all this help and assistance for us and for anyone else. You know, without that, there's, it's, I, I don't know what we would have done if, if it wasn't for, for the community. Talk to me a little bit about your therapy journey in your life. Uh, I would imagine you, you are continuously in therapy with no, us. Um, and I went for a while and then um, I was going last year and then things just started getting busy around the house and, and I just, I canceled. Anyway, I, I just stopped going because it just, things, my schedule started getting too busy and I haven't gone back. So that's my therapy journey. Uh, <laughs> what, was it, what was it like at first? I mean, a lot of people, I think. I cried a lot. 
you know, a lot of people go through really horrible, horrible things. And I think some people are very afraid to go to therapy. And I think some people go and it helps. And I think some people go and it doesn't help. You know, what was that journey like for you starting therapy for losing a child? It was hard. Um, but the circumstances in my life had basically forced me to need to go, but it was hard. And, um, my therapist, uh, was male and was that helpful? I wouldn't no, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't say it was helpful or not helpful. What, what was weird at first is to just cry in front of another guy. Yeah. Particularly a guy that I don't even know personally. Right. Right. Um, you know, I don't, I don't like to cry anyway. I mean, I, I do, I do cry a lot, but I don't like it. I hate it every single time. So it was, that was really uncomfortable, but I'm talking about things that I need to get out and I just can't help it. Right. And you know, there's, there's clearly no judgment from him. You know, he's, he, he, he has kids. And so, I mean, so there was no judgment. I felt safe and comfortable getting all that out. And it was a lot of stuff I, I needed to get out. Um, and it was really, it was really helpful. And he was, he was one of the, the therapists where he just let me talk. I go in there thinking I don't have anything to talk about. And then I spend the whole hour talking. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I didn't think I needed to say anything, but clearly I did. That's what we call the therapy trick right there. That's, right? <laughs> that's really good. I've been, I've been in therapy like that too, where it's like, no. I don't. And this week I have nothing to say, you know, 45 minutes later, the therapist is like, well, our time is almost up uh, and you've talked the whole time. Right. Um, so I totally get that. And now that you're, you know, this September, two years, um, which is still such a fragile, fragile time frame when you think about it in, in the grand scheme of time. I know you have I know both of you, you and Anne have both um talked a lot and gotten to know a lot of families dealing with EB. What advice do you give during those conversations? What do you, what do you talk about? What do you wish people would do or what, what support do you give during that? I don't give any advice because I don't know how to give it in the sense, in, in the sense that EB is so complicated in every family that goes through EB's experience is, is different. I had, I don't have any way to give any advice to any of the families I'm talking to, even, you know, the families that have recently lost their child to EB. I am really, really terrible at providing, um, any sort of advice for them. Um, I'm also really terrible at just opening up to people and maintaining relationships. So I am not the person to ask about <laughs> any of that because I, I struggle in all of those areas, I, which is terrible because as someone who has lost their child, I want everyone to acknowledge my kid all the time 
and reach out to me as often as they want. And I am just as bad as not reaching out and acknowledging, acknowledging other parents and, and, and their kids loss. And maybe that's because Anne does such a great job of doing that. I let her do it. Anne is, is great at doing that. And, and, you know, Anne is a trauma therapist. Like she, yes. she has that in her professional wheelhouse. Um, so that's going to be a very interesting uh, mama-sode when we do that. Yeah. Um, but I think my question to you is, is do you feel like it's still just too fragile for you to be in that space with someone else and offering a, a hand or support or a, a thought? No. And the reason why is because I have um, a coworker who had a miscarriage um and they had to have the the i'm probably going to mess up the procedure dnc mm, yes so that she knew she knew how far along the baby was they knew the sex of the baby and they and they lost lost it yeah so i've had conversations with her and this this happened after i lost my hallie um and so I've had conversations with her in, in a level of support to where just to let her know that she's not alone um, in what like she's she's grieving a child still. So I'm I've been able to insert myself in that role to just to have that conversation to to give that level of support. And um so no, I I'm not, it's not too fragile for me to be able to be there. It's that one's just the easier because I, I work with her. Sure. Someone closer right. to right. you. Yeah. 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 So, so I am actually happy to provide any level of support for anyone who needs it. I just don't initiate it as often you as I could. You don't seek it out. No, and I could. I, I mean, I. And maybe it's maybe. Maybe in one way it is fra too fragile to where I. I've got to pick and choose because it's just, emotionally too too hard for me. Yeah. And how new how, new it still is, that that my child is gone. Yeah, and it is. I mean, you know, how that evolves over the years. Who knows, right. you know, how that's going to, you know, look what that's going to look like 10 years from now um, when we're talking about it's been 10 years um, since, you know, it, it's just who knows what that's going to look like. Right. And, you know, what I think, too, is very interesting is that this is a very uh, pivotal episode for us because this is the first time we've been able to talk about a new treatment for epidermolysis bullosa. And this is literally just like a week off the press kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty groundbreaking. Incredibly. And I'm so stoked about it. And it is a treatment that does not work on junctional EB. Which is what Hallie Grace Which had. is what Hallie had. And it, it works on the dystrophic form of, of, of EB, which is missing 
it's a deficiency in the collagen seven uh, protein. So it's a deeper level protein. Um, so, so kids with dystrophic EB um, end up having really, really deep wounds and they have, a, there's a lot of other complications that come with that. And it's a long-term process, you know, they, they could live up to 30 years with with distro- with a version of dystrophic EB and, and it's just excruciatingly painful from what I'm told um, and, and what I've seen other other kids go through with that. Um, so this treatment is just phenomenal. I am I'm so so stoked about it and and what I've read about it just kind of like I kind of nerd out about it. I'm not a geneticist of any sort. But I kind of nerd out sometimes over really complicated science stuff. I feel like you guys, you guys have become quite, um, <laughs> quite, uh, you know, well versed in yeah. genetics and things of that nature. Unfortunately, because you've had yeah. to, yeah, uh, yeah. But this treatment is—it's the first ever uh, redosable um, treatment for EB, and it's a topical application, and it can be applied. You don't need any special skills or technique to do it. You can just do it during a normal bandage change and it basically goes, the, the cream goes into the genes and kind of not, I, I'm not going to try and sound scientific about it, but, but it, it basically allows the skin to, to create the collagen seven that it's needed. So does the skin almost reform or does it stop from blistering? It, it provides healing. So, so now that the collagen seven and after the treatment is able to be produced, then the skin can heal the way it's supposed to. And then once it's able to heal and the collagen seven is there, it's able to prevent new wounds from forming as quickly as it used to. So, um, it, the, I, it's not a cure because it's something that has to be cut continually applied for the most part and and the dosing will vary based on the patient the the research says that over time dosing would be less per occurrence or per year however they mapped out map that all out right yeah and it's it's obviously so new but you know before the fda approves something they have to test it you know for a time so you know it's been tested you know it works when it gets to this point which is pretty phenomenal yeah it is and in um the the company that has developed it uh crystal biotech they're still working on getting approval in multiple other countries right um i think they're still trying to get it approved in japan but it's 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 huge yeah and this is sadly this was um went up for fda approval uh earlier this year i think and it was denied right? because the FDA basically didn't understand what EB was and they didn't have all the information. And so they said, no. Right. So it's, you know, when you think about the population at large, that number is fairly small. Like, no, it's really small when sure. you think about how many billion people are in the United States alone. Right. But, you know, you multiply that over the court over the entire globe. I mean, that's still a lot of people, regardless of how 
small the percentage is, that's still a lot of people. Yeah. I it's mean, being, when you think about putting that amount of people like in a football field or, you know, right. They're all, they're all people. Right. So exactly. it's like, it, it matters. Exactly. You know, it matters. And it, it's almost surprising to me that more people don't know about it or haven't heard about it, but that's part of what we're doing. Yes. Having this conversation to grow, to grow the conversation. Right. And there's, there's a treatment that's been approved, but that's not the end of it. Right. I mean, there's not a guarantee that that treatment works on every single person with dystrophic EB because EB presents itself so differently among different people, even if their mutations are exactly the same. Right. So there's, there's other um, research out there that's still being worked on. That's still trying to, that's going through uh, clinical trials to get approved, you know, because there's a whole other component to all of this to where, you know, what does insurance pay for? You know, does your one insurance may pay for this one, but another insurance company may not. So there's that component that goes into it. And then just the means of being able to administer it, you know, what works better for one patient versus another, you know, and then there's, you know, uh, simplex, um, EB, um, that still needs, uh, a treatment and a cure. And there's obviously junctional that still needs uh, a treatment and a cure. So there's still a lot that needs to be, needs to happen for EB, for all forms of EB to either have a treatment and a cure. And it's a long road and it's a really tough road to get there from so many perspectives. Right. One one of the places I feel like you guys do so much awareness and movement of the needle uh, is at the ball. And I love, I mean, gosh, it's only the second year and that's getting ready to happen on June 9th at Savannah Station. So if you're local Savannah, this is going to be a, a great time for you to come and get involved. What do you hope happens at this year's ball? I hope that we get a bigger turnout than what we did last year and people have a just a really good time to help raise that awareness and funding for for the eb community i mean last year was so much fun and you raised a lot of money we did we did we raised you know for our first year we ended up you know raising just shy of eighteen thousand dollars that's amazing that we um split between our our nonprofit and um three other uh major nonprofits in the eb world so it and it was it was so much fun and you know we the the ball is the date that it is because it marks Hallie's birthday. She, she was born on June 5th. So the ball is June 9th. So it's kind of a, a, a birthday celebration for her, but more importantly, it's also a way to let everybody know that EB exists and there is not enough cu- uh, treatments. I can't, I can't say there's no cu- treatment anymore, which is great, but there's not enough treatments and there's still no cure. And so Anyone who comes, you're going to have a great time. I know you will. And that's what my, that's, that's what I hope. Yeah. Can I ask you some, some harder than I've asked questions? Oh, 
I, okay, sure. I didn't, think, I didn't know you had any, any harder questions. I know we thought we were at the end, but I, you know, I was just sitting here thinking about the celebration of Hallie's birthday, you know, and what do you, where, where are you on the thought process of what do you think Hallie thinks of what you're doing with the ball and she, what you guys are doing? She's very proud. I don't think she could be prouder. Her name is everywhere. And I'm so, so I'm so pleased that people get to see her at the ball who may not get to any other way because her picture's out and so many people never got to meet Hallie from in person and outside of me and Ann maybe one or two people ever held her and so there's a lot of people that we care about that didn't get to see Hallie in person and so I'm just I'm very pleased that I get to show her off mm. in a way that I would never get to any other way. Um, I, I have two other children that I will be able to show off at different points of their lives to different people. And so this is this is special for me. Do you picture her aging? Do you picture her exactly that age that she I, was? I don't know how to picture her aging. Um, I think I don't picture her aging because it's sad. I, I, I love who she, who she was. I love the little personality that I got to see for the very short time that I got to see it. There's a picture of her on your website with her little arm raised in the air, probably hands, hands up my favorite picture. Uh, and I look at it all the time when I'm doing things and we're planning things for the podcast and we're doing things for social media. And I, I, every time I look at it, I literally raise my arm too. I'm like, yes, girl, <laughs> we got this. <laughs> it's, it's a great picture and, and it's so good at taking photos. Um, and it was just one of those candid, just, I'm going to take a picture and, but it looks like, I mean, that's like a picture that we use to say, join the fight. Yeah. You know, it's, there's so much you can, you can do because it looks, that's exactly what she looks like she's doing. I, I just feel like when you talk about her personality, like I see it in that picture. Right. You know, and I'm sure you have like a million other pictures that you, you saw it in, like, if you, how do you describe her personality? Oh uh, gosh, um, wise, mm. um, an old soul, and so judgmental. <laughs> really? I mean, that we, surprises. Oh me. my gosh, she. I mean, her nickname was Judgy Baby because oh, wow. because she the just the way that she would look at you, it was just like, are you are you sure you're going to do that? <laughs> do you really want to wear that? Are you really just over there dancing for no reason? Wow. I don't like the song you're singing. It's just. She had your ticket. Right. It was just <laughs> so judgmental on, on us, which, I mean, of course she would be. I mean, she is, we, we borrowed her from heaven, essentially. Yeah. So, her, yeah. you know, she's got 
knowledge well beyond what we can are capable of understanding and it's just like you silly person (laughs) (laughs) like once like if you knew what i knew you would just stop (laughs) you picture her laughing at you a lot judging you still in some way oh my gosh yes yeah it's it's constant constant judgment (laughs) would she have liked the suit you wore last year in the hat at the she would okay I had a feeling. At least, at least I'm going to tell myself yeah, that right. she would like it, but who knows? She's probably judging me on that one too. So. I mean, no, no, the top hat, really? The no, I don't, too much, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I thought put, it was perfect. Put it away. But, you know, kids always judge us. Right. That's just what happens. You still feel her presence every day? No. I don't. Um, I wish I could. Um, she she still lets us know she's around with different little little signs, but they're um, they're not as frequent. And depending on what you believe, Hallie told Anne that the way that she comes to us has to be different because we're going to cling to her too much, mm. and she knows that we have to move. We, we have to live our lives. And if she's around all the time, then we can't live our life the way that Hallie wants us to. So, no. Right now, the the best signs that I get is I every time I see a butterfly, I just think of her. And I don't know, maybe Hallie's letting us know that she's around because Brielle talks about Hallie all the time. And she was talking, Brielle was talking today how she misses Hallie. Mm. So maybe that's the sign. Right. I don't know. Can we talk a little bit about, before we close off the episode, how important it is to, if you have been moved at all by any of the things you've heard in, in any of the episodes so far, how important it is to donate to this and where that goes. It's hugely important. And it's because there is so much work still left to be done for EB. Um, There's a ton of research going on. There is a ton of research going on. And, you know, and it's through other families, basically, that had kids with EB. And they said, you know what, we're... We're, we're tired of this and they started nonprofits and, it, you know, they had certain connections and there's just been this, you know, giant push for, for research through, uh, you know, EB Research Partnership is a big one that has done so much funding for, for research. And, um, you know, and, and Deborah's been around forever and they do a lot with research, too. But they also do a lot with with the community that, you know, the that a lot of other organizations may not do. And so, yes, there's a lot, lot of research. And so the support is absolutely necessary because there's just one treatment's been approved. The, the, the first rollout of the treatment doesn't happen until quarter three or quarter four of, of this year, mm-hmm. you know? And so that doesn't mean that every kid with dominant or, or dystrophic EB gets a treatment right away. Um, you know, so, but you know, there's other forms of EB that still need a lot of support for research and a lot of support for 
wound care. Mm. Wound care is so expensive. That's one of the things that you guys really have stepped up with your nonprofit and like helping people with supplies. Like it's so, so important because it's all the time. It is all the time. I mean, depending on your level of EB and depending on how severe, I mean, monthly wound care supplies can be anywhere between 10 and $80,000 a month. Yeah. I mean, that's, obscene right and and so you know i i would like for our nonprofit to be able to really really help out with like big time wound care supplies um but deborah of america does a wonderful job of helping families get wound care that they can't afford or, or or they're low on and you know, the EB community is super helpful. It's so sad when Hallie was born and we needed some supplies, we had a shipment come in from another family. I think more than one family because it was leftover supplies after their child died. Mm. And so they, they had it, they, they couldn't do anything. So they sent it to us. And that's kind of what happens in the EB community as well yeah. is that families are sharing supplies yeah, based on either, you know, they their child has successfully outgrown the size of those supplies or their child has unfortunately passed away and they're sharing it that way. And so we've done that. We've paid that forward with a bunch of supplies, extra supplies that we've had. Um, we still have some supplies that we're still trying to get to, to Deborah so they can send it out. And so yet we've, we are so help willing to help, a family who needs something that they can't get otherwise, if it's within our need, if it's within our means, right. the wound cares is really expensive. So we may not be able to help in some regard because our nonprofit may not have the money to be able to provide any of that, which is why a donation to us will help grow our funds to be able to better assist, you know, families who may need something that they can't get from other sources. Right. And, and such an um, easy way to assist in that process. Uh, we have a link in the show notes. Very easy. It's it's a donate link. And click the donate link. $5, $50, $500, whatever it is, will go towards that um, and go to these families. And it's so, so important because it's so needed. And, you know, I'm thinking about other dads in your situation. I'm thinking about other dads walking a similar path, you know, and their, their process of how are we going to afford medical supplies next week, next month? Exactly. I mean, we, we, we got a shipment of medical supplies once with, with Hallie. And it was like, I think it was eight packages of uh, Mepilex transfer, which is like the gold standard in the EB community. When it comes to wound care, and it was eight hundred dollars, and that was eight hundred dollars that my insurance doesn't cover. Right. And um, we got those supplies. Um, I think it was either right before Hallie died or right after. We never used them, but it was like. But, but anyway, it came, and I was so ecstatic that we got this. Right. But then, it was, yeah. So after we got it before Hallie died, we didn't 
use any. But then, you know, after she died, we get the bill of $800. I was like, wow. Okay. Didn't know that it was going to be $800. No one right. told me. Right. And, and it and was, and it was, and it was not going to, it was not, it wasn't going to last very long either. Right. I mean, it was these eight little, eight, eight boxes and I can't tell you the dimensions because, but I mean, it wasn't going to last very long. And, you know, you think about like how long it takes to catch up from all of the medical bills or, you know, do people ever catch up from that? You know, I mean, it's just such a weight on top of a weight on top of a weight on top of a weight. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. And which is why treatments and cures are so, so necessary. Do you feel hopeful about where things are headed? Absolutely. I feel hopeful. I mean, yes, there's um, another another company that uh, just got their phase one approval to do um, clinical trials that does involve junctional EB. So um so they can't test it on anybody with EB yet. They, they have to do healthy individuals. But uh, that was just um, got approval for that. So, yes, I'm incredibly hopeful for where the science is going. Um, how long it still takes is another matter, but everything's moving in the right direction. And the fact that there's been one treatment approved, I think, is just going to have a really big snowball effect on further research and funding. At least that's my hope. Yeah. I mean, when you think about everyone coming together, more awareness, um, a lot of celebrities have gotten involved, you know, I was thinking about the late, uh, Leslie Jordan and, um, yeah. you know, I was also thinking about, uh, Kaylee Cuoco and, you know, just so many people that are becoming aware of, of this and saying, Hey, just raising a banner and saying, Hey, like if we all just literally, if everybody in the United States gave $3, right. You know what I mean? Like imagine the impact that it would have. It would be incredible. And the, I mean, I mean, you know, when, when, when Hallie was born and we got involved in with the EB community, you know, it was conveyed to us that, you know, the the science is there. We can do this. But we have to have enough people to care. Right. To raise the funds to then get the research going. And so it's it's there. It's 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 just. There's a lot of setbacks when it comes to to medical research, but it's it's. A, it's it's time and it's money to to get to this point. Yeah. And, and the, and and the what, more people that care, the more people that are aware of it, the faster we can get to a point where there's treatment for all forms of EB and then eventually cures for all forms of EB. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say was like the awareness piece is the avenue to the time and the funds and the research. I mean, you know, let's spread the word. Right. Because when we spread the word, that's when the funds increase. That's when you have time and people and you can man the research and, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, it's, it's going on worldwide. This isn't something that's just happening, you know, in one little corner of the, of the world. It's everywhere. 
It is. Um, the, the EB, you know, similar to other um, diseases and, and conditions that will have a tagline that, that there is no prejudices against anyone. You get it no matter what your circumstances are. That's EB. It doesn't matter who you are. If you got the right genetic mutations, you're going to get it regardless of what background that you have. So it's, a, it's across the world. Yeah. And it's it's a problem that affects so many people, you know, and gene therapy, which is what is necessary to treat and cure EB, is such a difficult um, thing to do. But once you can, once you get the science down on it, then, you know, that opens the floodgates for curing over treating and curing over 7,000 other rare genetic conditions. Right. Right. Because once you've opened that door, you're looking at things that you're seeing things in a different way that like other diseases, other things are coming into, into light. Right. Yeah. Everyone's able to take the, re, the the knowledge from, from one research and apply it to, to something else. Right. So it's, it's not, you know, the, the really big grand scheme is, is is that it's not just EB. We 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 treat and cure EB, and then that technology can then help treat and cure so many other rare genetic disorders. Well, the the time to get involved is now, no doubt, and um, I'm excited that that people anywhere near the Savannah area have a chance to come and be a part of the ball June 9th at Absolutely. Savannah Station. Tickets are still available. Um, so that's the place to go. And, and obviously, you know, come to the ball, be a part of, of what's happening and do the donation too. I mean, you know, whether you come to the ball or not, you know, drop a donation because it is all going to such wonderful work that's happening to help so many families. Yeah. Everything that we raise goes towards the EB community. It goes towards the research. It goes towards the families. It goes towards spreading awareness it does it 100 goes towards fighting eb joe thank you for sharing all of these things um thank the, you for getting me emotional on the data sode yeah thank you for letting me uh get you there i almost cried <laughs> me too nudge, nudge. <laughs> as we both get a tissue right <laughs> thank you very much um i know that hallie's proud of you thank for you all the things you're doing and uh thank you for sharing your heart Thank you. I, I appreciate the outlet. It's so rewarding to know that we can all do something with the journey for a cure for EB. If you're asking yourself, but how can I help? Then you've come to the right place. The second annual Hallie Grace Memorial Butterfly Ball is coming up so soon and it's going to be amazing. It's a chance for you to help. June 9th at the gorgeous Savannah Station at 6 p.m. June 9th, Savannah Station, 6 p.m. Tickets are still available and 100% of the proceeds go to the fight for EB. That's research, go to the fight for a cure, and comfort packages for families going through similar experiences in the form of emotional support, finding resources, or providing much needed medical supplies or special clothing. Wouldn't that feel amazing to know you were helping families just like Ann and Joe's? Helping families around the world. So go ahead and grab your ticket at HallieFlies.com. 
That's H-A-L-L-I-E flies.com, HallieFlies.com. And if you can't make it to the ball in person, go to the website, make a donation. Every donation gets us closer. How else can you help? Share this episode with someone you know. We are more hopeful than ever that a much needed cure is in reach.